listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And joining us on the podcast this week, she's a writer and researcher focusing on climate and health justice and has a new podcast coming out soon called Damages. It's Linda Rowlands. Thanks for coming on. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> Good morning to all our listeners, too. Don't listen to this after 12 p.m. I like Do it. Not. We're a morning coffee <laughs> podcast this week. Hell yeah. That is the vibe. I feel like we're a good commuter podcast. I feel like you, you know, give you a good vibe to the day when you're getting up from your bed and going to your work computer. <laughs> yeah, um, don't stop. That, that is a full commute. Commuting, <laughs> commuting from the bedroom to the workstation. Oh, brutal. Sitting in your parked car in the garage for an hour every morning just to get in the vibe, <laughs> listening to a podcast. So, Lyndall, what is the, um, the tone of Damages? When should people listen to it and what can they expect to hear in it? Yeah, so Damages is um, still in research mode, but I'm not sure if people have heard of the podcast Drilled, um, which mm. is produced by the amazing Amy Westervelt, who's an award-winning investigative journalist um, based in California. And um, Drilled really looks at sort of, you know, um, who's really responsible for um, climate change and also the kind of public relations strategies that they use. So it's really, really definitely recommend people listen to Drilled and Damages will be coming out soon. We're going to be looking at climate litigation and I will be looking at climate litigation specifically in Australia. So for example, you know, we've had the Youth versus Environment Minister case, but there's actually heaps of climate litigation happening in Australia. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And then there'll also be other cases as well from around the world. That's really awesome. We've covered a few climate litigation things on the podcast before, but mm. it'll be nice to have it covered by uh, people who aren't just a bunch of sort of shouty idiots. <laughs> well, I did actually think the last time we properly covered it was when we had our other guest, Lauren, on to talk oh, yeah. about to talk about that environmental, uh, the, the youth versus environment minister case. Yeah, um, I should talk to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have gotten the two of you on and we could just leave and the people that listen to this podcast could get a proper actual understanding of what's going on. I think what you're describing there is Lindell's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, like, the whole thing about, like, the litigation against climate change, it seems like there is some actually exciting movement there, just in terms of finding ways to, I suppose, wedge the climate-denying political parties and companies into, like, forcing them to do the right thing. Do you think it's a good strategy by itself or that it's uh, it's it's one minor strategy as part of a big whole? Or where do you think it fits in in the whole saving us from apocalypse situation? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I mean, actually, there's one... I mean, there's two different cases that have come up recently. Um, one of them was the bushfire survivors that sued the New South Wales EPA. And um, the, the judge found that the EPA actually had to give a shit about climate change. And <laughs> um, and actually this week the minister said, yep, the this uh, state minister said, yeah, actually we're going to do something about it. Um, the other big contrast to that is the Youth First Environment Minister case mm. um, where, um, yeah, the federal environment minister was just basically told that maybe she should like 
give a shit about children <laughs> and she is appealing <laughs> so it's you know <laughs> i appeal oh, the decision Lord. that i have a duty of care towards children what uh, yeah <laughs> I, I suppose that's the like liberal party or you know federal government uh, regardless of who's in charge a lot of the time sort of yeah. approach of like i am caring about the children i mean consider that you know if we don't do this maybe the children in the future won't have coal power how will that make them feel? And they can always talk to a school chaplain as well. So, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've looked at Susan Lee uh, and her supposed duty of care in episode 74, uh, Care of Duty Modern Lawfare. Just wanted to shout out that title again. Um, oh, Christ, it really, <laughs> the difference between drilled and damages versus not good enough, highlighted in one pithy title. I'm going to hey. say damages hey. is also a pretty good pun. I was thinking, yeah. That's I was I it just clicked when you were mentioning it before, Lindell. I was like, oh, that's really good. Oh, <laughs> All credit definitely to Amy. She's very good at these um witty titles yeah <laughs> we're all filling important parts also it reminds me of my favorite like rose Byrne tv series also which is <laughs> oh. just great <laughs> get rose burn off <laughs> after weeks of people wondering whether vaccines were going to be able to made available to people in a way that is easy to distribute toot toot <laughs> we've got a vaccine bus hey <laughs> a, a vaccine bus <laughs> toot. <laughs> toot toot let's go to jabba the bus i actually love uh, this name so yeah, much yeah i love it it's so stupid it's got a corny name it's it's uh, like we've been talking about this on the pod a couple times before saying we just like need to get the vaccine in front of people mm. um and you know Dan Andrews listens to the pod he's a big fan um despite the things that we say about him uh, and, <laughs> shout uh, out to Dan Andrews <laughs> shout out Dan Andrews <laughs> uh, it's just a neat initiative i i think it's really good this is just in um the sort of Shepparton area at the moment um but, you know, hopefully, well, I mean, hopefully it goes well, proves us all right and gets rolled out to the rest of the state. Uh, but, you know, maybe if it doesn't go well, then uh, we'll also know that it doesn't work and we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. McLean, <laughs> it actually made me laugh because he almost did say exactly the same thing that you've said previously on the pod, which is he said that if necessary, he was prepared to, quote, put a van at the end of your street and go door to door asking people <laughs> to get vaccinated. You've said almost yeah. exactly the same thing. <laughs> nearly verbatim what I was yelling about. If if necessary. Like, yeah, it's necessary, Dan Andrews. We're in a yeah. pandemic. We've had <laughs> vaccines available since basically March. It's been necessary the whole time. <laughs> I do love this. If it's pandemic, if it's necessary, if it's necessary, I'll even put in initiatives to get people vaccinated. I'll do yeah. it. Don't make me, I'll do it. Like, okay, look, I will give some concession to the fact that it does take a bit of time for logistics and that sort of thing. But this should have happened, like, way back in June, yeah. July, so, like, yeah, even yeah. earlier than that. Like, <laughs> it, like the, the logistics should have happened alongside <clears throat> the distribution because you have, like, if this is a thing that everyone needs to put it in front of everyone, you start that with an assumption as opposed to here is a vaccine hub, I want you to make time from work or something to go to the hub. Because that has been, I think that's been the sort of main um, 
aside from any other sort of anti-vaxxer or, you know, dithering about brands or anything like that, the main thing that I've seen of people not getting the vaccine yet is that they can't make time from work or they can't make time in their day to go down to the hub and wait in a line to go and get a vaccine. So, yeah, put them in front of them. Or the logistics of booking yourself a vaccine, finding a vaccine on one of several websites, booking it in, talking to your GP. And let's be clear... There's nothing special about a vaccine bus. This isn't some kind of robo bus that delivers the vaccine via heat-seeking vaccine missiles. It's just oh. a normal bus with a fridge on it. Like yeah, they just changed the, del- <laughs> the 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 display on the front of it to just say Jabba instead of you know. Yeah. It took <laughs> a graphic <laughs> designer and a portable fridge, and now you've got a vaccine bus. Yeah. This is not new technology. <laughs> it took them ages because they were like, oh, all we've done is sort of halted movement throughout the city and it's hard to find a spare bus. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Surely you have them. Like, it's, oh. it's unbelievable. I've just got the mental image of Daniel Andrews in one of those brainstorming sessions being like, okay, guys, this is sounding pretty crazy, but we want people to get the vaccine. What if we bring the vaccine to them? <laughs> no, no. Okay, we'll give it. We'll give it a few months. Think on it. We'll Think just put it. it up in the exhibition building, and we'll, we'll call it done for I don't know until uh, September, and then we'll try a new idea. <laughs> the the reason that it took them this long is because they were taking ages to get a puppet giraffe together. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, healthy Harold Erasure. And so, yeah. and so hopefully this is the kind of thing we'll see happening, like, more, like, sensible vaccine plans, because we've still got this thing happening. And you hear about in Indigenous communities where they're having a terrible time getting hold of vaccines. Um, and the go- Indigenous communities, uh, aged care homes were all meant to be, like, stage one of the vaccine rollout, and it just didn't get rolled out. No one rolled it out in literally a rolling vehicle, um, except in in very ad hoc fashions. Um, and look, let's not get into New South Wales and the LNP too much, but they are doing this whole thing where they're like, oh, if only some people would get vaccinated, we could all open up. Give them the vaccines. Problem solved. I read a study um, last week that was kind of eye-opening. There was just a sort of um, meta study, like they studied a bunch of different studies to see what sort of vaccine initiatives were effective and what uh, weren't. Uh, it was called uh, What Works to Increase Vaccination Uptake by Dr. Noel Tiberer, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But basically the sort of overall theme of the study is that the, the most effective thing that you can do to increase vaccination uptake is just like put it right in front of people and say, get it. <laughs> and and um, so I, I, I am glad that they are sort of going for a bit more like, let's make it easy to get it rather than let's try and convince people to get it. Because I think that there's a lot of people who don't get it just because, you know, no judgment, they're lazy. Yeah, but it's tricky. Make it um, make it opt out. That's the thing. I don't even think that it's tricky. It's just like, well, I mean, it, it, it is tricky, but there are a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, I just haven't got around to it. It's like, yeah. if you put it at the front door, it's mm. way easier for those people to get around to it. Uh, whenever uh, I've mentioned, sorry, I, I mentioned like in terms of bullying my friends to go and get it, <laughs> <laughs> but it really is that. It was. It's purely like I need to organize the things and do the things, but like- all my friends are very comfortable stay like working from home who could get that leave pretty easily and that sort of thing. But there is a level of inertia that's involved with that too. Like even if they can get it, it's like, but I have to do these things and people don't really <laughs> want to do life admin. It's like, yes, the vaccine is life admin, but also it's the life admin that gets us out of pandemics. So, mm. Mm. 
Yeah, Lyndall, I wanted to ask, you've written quite a bit on the like the international scope of the botched vaccine rollout and, you know, obviously there's the patent issue and what that's all that sort of stuff. But do you see a type of parallel with the like national rollout and especially versus city and rural and how they might be interconnected? Yeah, in Australia, I mean, I think it varies state by state. I think um, what we're seeing in Victoria is a little bit different to New South Wales. Um, But yeah, what's happening with um, access to the vaccine for Indigenous communities in New South Wales is just scandalous. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we probably wouldn't really have so much of an issue if we were just making more vaccines. And and that's a global issue. Um, It's not just Australia. And so, yeah, that's why, you know, I've been writing a lot about this proposal to get the intellectual property waiver so that um, those big factories in India and other countries that have the capacity to make generic medicines can just like start making heaps, heaps more. And then there'd be more vaccines for Australia and more vaccines also for um, countries in Africa that have barely had any vaccines so far. So um, yeah, that's for me sort of why the supply issue is is a big deal. But yeah, actually getting the vaccine in people's arms is the most important thing. Um, I think Evie also knows, like, I'm a big fan of AstraZeneca. Like, I don't really know what's been going on with, you know, this, all of this scary um, stuff about AstraZeneca. Like, I was living in New York until March last year. And just all the horror stories I've heard out of what happened in New York, you know, I wouldn't hesitate for a second to take AstraZeneca in comparison to everything that happened in New York um, last yeah, year. So, oh, yeah, sure. like uh, it's, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because I've said before on the podcast that so much of like the narrative around like, you know, trying to distinguish between brands or, you know, weird ideas about what vaccines do is usually fed by the fact that we – are very lucky in Australia that we haven't really been impacted by huge amounts of COVID death and infection. And so we're very far removed from every other country. And even though we see it in the paper, it's still different from actually living Mm. in a place where you see people die every day. And and, and like then realising I need anything that I can get to make sure that we get out of this. And Australia is just so privileged for having that conversation in the first place. Like, my God. (laughs) I think that's what it was. I think, like, the whole, like, fear tactics about AstraZeneca were just that the media were whipped into this frenzy of needing something scary, (laughs) but we didn't have COVID running through the country and we didn't have those deaths. So they made a bigger story out of the, the very rare clotting that can happen in AZ. Because that was the scary story. And I, I know like friends of mine who, you know, still have free to air TV on a lot saying, oh, it was every night, every yeah. night's all we heard about. I'm like, need something to scare fuck. people about, arguably. Yeah, 100%. COVID causes clotting as well. So, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, would you rather know yeah. COVID here? I've heard <laughs> of people in their 30s dying of clotting in New York after the yeah. massive waves of COVID they had. So, mm. Jesus. Um, before uh, the vaccine, <laughs> that's, like months before the vaccine. I got AstraZeneca basically as soon as it was possible for me to do so. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm a massive hypochondriac, but I was like, sure, I'm scared of the, the, the clotting side effects, but I'm much more scared of the side effects of not getting vaccinated. Like, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> let's go, let's go. The one, uh, the one hot take I would have of like, especially that situation is that to always have the assumption that in any given situation – at this point in time, it really feels like when there is a you know some sort of disaster happening in which people could die, 
it feels like sometimes like the press wants that to happen. And even in a situation where people aren't dying, they're like, okay, let's look for the place where people could be dying. Yeah. Mm. What? Yeah, mm. no one's dying right now, but fuck, what if they did? Wouldn't yeah. that be a story? <laughs> and then they just whisper the what if part up the top. I'm due for my second AstraZeneca next week. I'm looking forward to being, you know, immune yeah. to all forms of death. Um, and I think Dude, it's, it's so it, good. It's partly like I've also played enough XCOM to understand the difference between a one in a million chance and something that's actually likely to happen. Like, I will roll those dice. As soon as I get my second shot in like a week and a half, I'm going to mute the word COVID and coronavirus <laughs> and pandemic. And Who going clubbing? It, won't, it, it won't be my problem anymore. Like, what's COVID? I don't even know. I'm picking up takeaway food, fully vaccinated, being like, nobody's wearing their mask here. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Picking up takeaway food to go straight back home on a Friday night because I can't wait to cancel all of my plans once <laughs> plans start happening again. Just as a quick thing before we move on, um, Tom Tanneke has been hitting this drum really hard and I've personally found the exact same thing. People don't seem to know about hot docs and when you talk about hot docs as a yeah. website, it definitely hot sounds doc. sus. But if you are looking to get a vaccine or you know people who are, like McLean mentioned, somewhat lazy with getting it, just mention that hot docs is a place to get it. My flatmate has tried booking for a vaccine um, on the government website with the hub and was apparently saying he can only get Pfizer and he can't get it for two and a half months. And we're like, yeah, check on hot docs. It goes through all the GPs and everywhere else you can get it. Hot doc. And he didn't know about it. And he was like, that sounds like a, a porn site. I'm like, it does. It's fucked. But look up hot docs and you can get a vaccine. Hot doc. It's hot, hot doc. I will just say Singular. I've been yelling about that area, since June. I was right the whole time. Go to Hot Docs. I wasn't saying a porn hot, site. Hot Go Doc. It. <laughs> it's singular. And do it for all the sexy doctors working in the ICU. <laughs> Our call to action would be so strong if we got the website right. There is like- one sexy doctor. It is Hot Doc. It is Damages. <laughs> if you do a Google, it'll come up. Just don't put any other words around it. Like, don't put hot doc in your area. Yeah. Or hot doctor, no. That's so funny that it's like we, we've got the sort of the, the official government ways to like figure out things and, and respond to COVID in a, at the sort of individual level, and they're all shit. And then we've got the sort of like ones that just independents have spun up, and they're hot doc and COVID near me, and they're the two like. <laughs> Like, the hot dog in your area is exactly the joke that, like, you just put the two next to each other. Uh, it's right there. That's mad. I never noticed that before. Hotspots in my area. Hotspots in my... Fuck. Oh, All right. Let's, let's, move, let's move on. <laughs> so, one of the stories I've been covering recently is this Senate inquiry into media diversity in Australia. And um, this is sort of something that's come across after... You know, Kevin Rudd was calling for this Royal Commission into News Corp. And um, they were having a hearing on Monday because it was sort of initiated because of um, YouTube banning some of these um, Sky News um, videos on COVID. They were that bad. And, you know, it's kind of scary. You know, this hearing was because, you know, they were trying to ask ACMA, which is the media authority, you know, why they hadn't been banning any of these videos, Mm. which are now getting broadcast free to air to regional viewers Um, but it's a big coincidence that Monday morning um, Sydney Morning Herald which you know we can basically call Channel 9 newspapers slash Fairfax now um, had this big exclusive and you know I'm doing 
exclusive with quotation marks with my fingers because I'm really not exactly sure how publishing leaking like a probably fairly thinly veiled publicity campaign from yeah. Newscourt is a an exclusive um it's an interesting definition <laughs> of that um yeah but basically the exclusive with um, my fingers in the air is um is about news course going to apparently have this massive change of heart on climate change and it's going to be championing net zero emissions and ending its long-running hostility to carbon reduction policies oh good um, it's yeah, really yeah, weird it's, yeah so news Corps loves um, climate action now, so we're, uh, everything's fixed. <laughs> and it's important to note, just, just just to make sure, that News Corp has never been hostile to climate action. They oh, have an no, independent never. journalist sort of like, <laughs> <Yeah>. stance. That... <laughs> what? Never. They've, yeah, they've all, yeah, absolutely. They've covered both sides of the argument. They've covered everybody <laughs> should die on a smoking wreck of the planet, and they've covered uh, maybe science is real. <laughs> and and there's only a, like a little bit of fine print. Um, so this amazing. Um, new campaign is going to run for two weeks um, (laughs) and then climate will be fixed (laughs) yeah it's in in the lead up to the UN climate conference so you know of course News Corp coming in and um, championing championing net zero is going to fix everything Um, but I don't know, like, so yes. And okay, so here's another interesting aspect as well. It's going to be um, led by Joe Hildebrandt. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if um, you have anything to say about Joe Hildebrandt. But... <laughs> Joe Hildebrandt, one of the least, I don't know, do people consider like Joe Hildebrandt charismatic and all? Whenever he's like been on the circle, he always looks vaguely scared. They always made him do like really weird stunts and it's always like a real humiliation fetish for Joe Hildebrand. <laughs> I think that Joe Hildebrand's role in the Australian sort of media landscape, this is sort of for the international listener, is he's like, um, if you imagine like a sort of Punch and Judy sort of like puppet show, <laughs> he's the sort of like one that they bring on to be like, and here's the left-wing guy who's like not at all left-wing, but he's a bit of like the sort of like the his his job is to play the left-wing guy so that everyone else can be like, you fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same puppeteer with his hand up his butt, you right, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's nominally left of people like Andrew Bolt, which is useless. Yeah for, yeah, for a right-wing guy, he's pretty left-wing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking believe that it's Joe Hildebrand is the one that is going to come out like... Uh, no, I just, like it's a they- joke. It's a it's a joke. It's surely because last year, because we have this thing as well like with you know Matthias Corman going off internationally, being like, "Oh, I've always been supportive of like fixing climate change." Blah blah blah. I think there's just something about um, News Corp and Murdoch and all that whole that whole situation being lampooned internationally that they want to try and change it for two weeks coming into an international conference where the world will pay attention. And then after that, we'll, they'll go back to the same old shit. But they just sort of want to launder climate activism for a little while to make them like at, at like a, an international standard, I think. Because at the moment, we are very much on the fucking behind the... <laughs> behind the time. We're a joke. We're a joke. We on the are a joke. Stage. And then we get Joe Hildebrand to do it. It is a joke. Oh, it's so it is funny. It's a joke concept. Yeah, it's a joke, but now it's funny because now we've got <laughs> <laughs> we've got Joe Hildebrand who has been quoted several times of like, you know, talking about 
despite himself allegedly being nominally a leftist, he's like, well, I'm one of those good leftists, <laughs> leftist. but oh, not boy. one of those crazy leftists. And he always stuff, says stuff. He's basically there to punch on the Greens. So mm. he said before, like, every time a Greens activist tries to tell you that something has to be done about climate change, remind them that 10 years ago something w- was being done and they blocked it. He, of Shut course, up. is referring to the CPRS um, being knocked down in the Senate and it, 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 that, that is the one sort of policy that both Labor as well as the Liberal Party are joint in constantly hanging shit on the Greens, mm. even though it was not very good policy. Like it wasn't it's, something it, that was going to achieve what they said it was going to achieve. It's, it's 2021. We're so familiar now with a government policy that is advertised to do one thing, but is secretly just a massive donation to a fossil fuel company or big business or whatever. Mm. The CPRS was exactly one of those. And the Greens are like, this seems like it's not actually going to really do anything towards climate action. It's just going to make some sort of like big companies a lot of money. So we're going to vote against that. And then immediately they put through the uh, carbon tax, which was the most effective piece of climate legislation in Australian histories. And uh, the the Labor Party have never forgiven them for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like this this whole thing angers me on several levels, obviously, um, because I hate being angered on just one level. Um, (laughs) News Corp, obviously, is, I want to say, like, the entity that second only to fossil fuel companies but functioning as an arm of the fossil fuel companies is the most responsible for climate inaction in the world um i know that's a big call but i'm putting it out there yeah Um, that's right (laughs) like like the reason australia has such dog awful government and such appalling climate literacy and what is in several studies decided to be the worst climate misinformation for about the last decade going around um, is because of News Corp. Um, Every bloody climate denying relative you have is because of News Corp. And so News Corp saying, oh, we're going to champion net zero emissions by 2050, which is also a pretty pathetic target. It's kind of like how Shell says we're going to champion net zero emissions by 2050, which is, which basically means we've been pressured into saying this, but we wish we didn't have to. Mm. Um, and we're going to do as little as possible and basically use it to make money while, while sucking the air out of everybody who actually has something useful to say. Um, Joe Hildebrand, of course, is is the guy, the only guy in News Corp who's able to touch the word scientific consensus without bursting into flames. Um, <laughs> and that's why they've chosen him for this, because he can write things in his articles that are like, yeah, okay, I guess the bushfires are caused by climate change. But then he can go on to be like, but, you know, protesting and talking about it isn't going to do anything. We just need sensible policy that happens as slowly as possible. Um, and so that's exactly what he's going to be continuing to say here. Yeah. Um, uh, Lyndall, you were talking about how this leak was happening on the same day as the, the Senate inquiry. What was the go with that? <laughs> yeah. So um, going back to the Senate inquiry, you know, the um, this was a day when News Corp was having to answer questions about the disinformation that they've been sharing on Sky News. Um, there's some pretty terrible stuff um, that's been happening. It was so bad that YouTube actually has banned some of their videos. So um, it's just, you know, quite a coincidence that this exclusive um, was, I'm doing the, was the and they had these anonymous sources um, that were speaking um, to Channel 9 on, you know, exactly the same day that um, 
the um, Senate inquiry was looking into um, these other problems with News Corp. So I think it was perhaps a little bit to show how these types of inquiries do put a little bit of pressure on mm. um, companies, but I'm not sure how much um, pressure that is. We'll um, have to see, you know, what happens in the long run. But I think in this case, you know, um, as Ketan Joshi has written about um, all of this, it's this, this net zero line. I think, you know, we need to unpack that a little bit as well, because mm. it's like, it's really just about pushing the delay line. So now we're sort of like, we're going to wait until 2049. And then magically, this yeah. carbon capture storage technology is going to work. So yeah, I think we sort of have to um, think a little bit about like what net zero is. So I think a lot of the issues that we have today are partly because of maths and you know whether um how we sort of you know we study maths in school and then we forget so what does net zero actually mean it's sort of like um if you add all the stuff up that you're going to do to take emissions out of the uh, sorry to or add up all the emissions that you're putting into the atmosphere and then take away all of the emissions that you're going to put into the ground with this magical carbon capture storage technology, then you get net zero. Um, mm. But of course, what we really actually want to be getting is real zero. And so... Um, actual like, zero. <laughs> actual zero, yeah. I mean, you know, like, sure, if this carbon capture storage actually worked, but, you know, it's really sort of... Um, has not been proven to and Australia is basically one of the last countries in the world left sort of still championing carbon capture and storage. Well, um, yeah, it's kind it's also, of like sorry. my plan for COVID where I'm not going to get the vaccine, but I'm going to get COVID, but then I'm going to um, take the COVID out of my body using COVID capture and storage, which they're working <laughs> on. They promise me that will be available before I die. I just wonder how much of it is Amazing. like they can't call it net zero. Well, they can't call it what it's actually supposed to be called, which is gross zero, because that just sounds wrong. <laughs> you know what, net zero. We're after gross zero, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this disgusting ah, zero. So that's maths. <laughs> <laughs> that's maths. I, I should know that, but you know, it was a long time ago that I did maths in school. Yeah. The thing that gets me about the net zero thing is like the the Australian government is like, "Oh, if we can get, you know, obviously, obviously, we don't want to stop burning fossil fuels. So what we'll do oh, is we'll keep it. burning fossil fuels, but we'll get our technology to." undo that fossil fuel burning really really good so that they cancel it out and we'll be all be fine the sort of <laughs> it sort of misrepresents the degree of the climate crisis where it's like hey if we're about to be sitting on some like amazing tech that can pull carbon out of the atmosphere then we should stop burning the fossil fuels and use that as well, <laughs> because we're we're so fucked, <laughs> we really need it. They're like, oh, we've got this fire extinguishing technology and this fire burning technology, and so we'll keep setting fires and putting them out at the same rate. It's like, no, but everything else is already on fire. If we've got putting fire out technology, we should be using that on the fires that are already burning. <laughs> so, like, if we can get net zero, that's great. But if we have the technology to get us to net zero, and we can use that to get us to net negative by stopping burning fossil fuels as well, that. That's you know that's that's hope for humanity. That'd be amazing. Like no 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 no. We'll just cancel out what we're doing to zero. Yeah, let's be Fuck. clear. We are already in climate change, um, and they're they're saying yeah, let's let's use this tech to maintain a bad level. Um, let's not get it back to good. Let's just maintain yeah. badness. We're inventing these new brakes so that we can just keep pressing the accelerator as hard as we're pressing the brakes. <laughs> 
And yeah, it's funny you also mentioned fires because the other way that we do know you can take carbon out of the atmosphere is with trees. Um, so, you know, you can purchase these carbon offsets when you fly and then they plant a forest with that. But um, it's kind of dark. But in California recently, one of those carbon offset forests burnt down. So, um, yeah, like... <laughs> um, I think also, you know, we're still logging native trees in Victoria after mm. the fires. So, oh, you know, yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot more we could be doing to actually stop putting carbon in the atmosphere rather than, you know, hanging all our hopes on taking it out. Um, the, and, yeah, so... <laughs> the Victorian government's got to learn that we need to keep it in the ground. We need to be logging those native growth forests and then burying <laughs> the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually well, we do because we use it to, you know, make toilet paper and then, yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay, so it's not all bad. We flush it down the loo. <laughs> <laughs> We're all doing our bit. It is interesting in mentioning the um, the carbon offsets as well because I've read a bunch of articles recently talking about, like, they're not really happening. They don't do mostly what they're supposed to do. And and like, it seems like it is, uh, it, it was at least, something that governments could try to um like point to as an initiative that they're working on. And this got cut from last week's episode, but I'm bringing it back. Um, <laughs> our stupid government had this initiative to plant a billion trees and has barely gotten through like 1% of what they promised. And it's just like, it is that thing of, well, we need the tech. We need carbon capture and storage. We need trees. It's like, no, we need to stop burning fossil fuel. That's it. That's, 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 that's the extent of it. Something we can already do. Yeah. And it's just, this, it's all of it is just this distraction. And I can't help but feel like the News Corp thing is yet more of a distraction. Like it is this, like not only are they taking too long to actually push for fixing climate change, but they're also taking as long as they can to even appear like they care. Like it's oh, just yeah. net, net zero by 2050 is now just a, it's just meaningless. It's numb in my mouth. And it's not even the best thing we can be doing. And they they can come out with this campaign going like, we champion the best possible outcome. It's like, fuck, guys. <laughs> you off. live on the same planet as us. What the fuck? Net zero by 2050, let's be clear, also is A, not the government's policy and something they're actively refusing to make their policy. And B, not something we have a chance of hitting with any of our current policies. Didn't we say net zero by the second half of the century, which actually means 2100? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 2099 is still second half of the century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, um, maybe I could talk a little bit about Santos now and do a little plug oh, for, yes, um, for damages. Um, but yeah, Santos actually has a plan to have net zero emissions by 2040. So, you know, a whole 10 oh, years that's earlier. So ambitious. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so progressive. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but they're an emissions company. <laughs> Who knows what might happen by 2040, but, you know, let's see what ha uh, see where we're at die then but um so there's this new court case though that we'll be following with the damages podcast um the environmental defenders office on behalf of the australasian center for corporate responsibility um have filed a federal court case against um santos over its claims that um natural i'm doing more of these mm. quotation marks is um, <laughs> clean fuel and that it has a credible pathway to net zero emissions by 2040 so um santos is kind of similar you know it in its definition of net zero, that they're really hoping that this carbon capture magical stuff is going to start mm. working.
working um, by 2040. So um, well, meanwhile, they're going to, you know, still be doing a lot of stuff with gas. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Santos um, is, of course, the people who are drilling in Narrabri and various other places around Australia. Yeah. Oh, don't forget, though, they're supporting local uh, coffee carts. Oh, and, <laughs> and, and sponsoring local rugby league events, too. That was great. <laughs> so that probably, the, the grass that grows on those rugby pitches does count against their carbon emissions. <laughs> <laughs> they're planting a billion blades of grass by 2050. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that, you know, this will be a really interesting court case to follow because it's going to be one of the first to actually challenge you know, what net zero actually means, what carbon capture storage actually means. And, mm. you know, as um, Greta Thunberg said, forget about net zero, we need real zero, although apparently it's not even net zero, it's actually gross zero. But yeah, <laughs> that's... Um, <laughs> we should, maybe let's just call it gross zero and see if that sticks, yeah. Let's yeah, see just, if it catches on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, last year we started new unions in Australia, this year, gross zero, let's go. <laughs> oh, we can morph into grouse zero. There we go. There we go. I'm on board with that. Grouse zero. We can do zero. a two-week campaign on grouse zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's about mass. <laughs> <laughs> but then so the, I was going to ask about like the details of this court case and the sort of wider implications for it in terms of um, Australian policy and even legislation because it seems like Santos is taking the same line that Angus Taylor has constantly been trying to, which is, you know, saying that we're green, saying we've got this plan, and what is it? Oh, it's this mysterious future tech that may or may not come about. All of the tech that we currently have isn't future tech, so it doesn't count. And also, gas is green, somehow. It turns into hydrogen, and then all of a sudden, it's totally cool. Do you think that these types of challenges, if they're successful, could pressure the government or actually impact the government and the legislation or will they try to keep that as separate as possible? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the court cases in Australia are really focusing on the government because, you know, it's the government that actually has a responsibility to us. Um, this court case is really interesting as well because it's starting to go after some of the uh, fossil fuel companies and, you know, they're also things are going to come back to bite for them. I think they are aware of that. BHP has just decided to sell off all of its um, fossil fuel liabilities. Apparently, <laughs> they're trying to pay someone to take some coal mine off their hands in New mm. South Wales. They can't even pay someone to take it off their hands and they've sold we all their offshore gas to Woodside. <laughs> we talked about that about yeah. that recently. <laughs> they're, they're, turn it, they're, they're calling their coal plants liabilities now. They're worth negative money. Let yeah. us die, Scott Morrison. No! He gets, the, <laughs> he gets the little zappers together and jump starts them constantly. It's been dead for years. No! So I think these court cases are starting to maybe have a, make a little bit of a difference, but I think it's just inevitable. And, mm. you know, fossil fuel companies have been really good at just, you know, pushing back all of their... Um, the, the major costs associated with them into the future or just, you know, sort of um, hiding what how big a cost it actually is. You know, gas isn't really anywhere near as cheap as they like to tell us and, Definitely. you know, gas bills aren't even cheap anyways. So um, I don't really know where that all came from. Um, but, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this court case goes. You know, as you pointed out, it's hard sometimes to tell the line between um, these um, fossil fuel companies and Australian government policies. Um, so the court cases are sort of, most of them are focused on the government, but this one's going to be looking at Santos. Um, but yeah, it's going to be 
really interesting to see. Um, I think, though, that BHB example just shows that um, the these companies are paying attention, but I think this is really just starting because I think um, in the future the, the cases may become much bigger and, and they're looking at sort of like in the international criminal court maybe bringing in the crime of ecocide. So, um, mm. yeah. Love to see <laughs> that. that exciting? Yeah, something else that Tony Abbott can say that Australians are sick of being lectured about. that's really true what do you reckon what do you reckon the chances are of this like being successful the santos case yeah yeah um uh i think you know like it's really early days they're going to have their early hearings um coming up later this month and um I, you know, I think it's it's really good to test out Australian consumer law because um, I thought we were supposed to have good consumer law and really, you know, you can't be telling people that gas is clean um, and not really being able to back that up with the evidence because hopefully we have some some sort of government structures left in place that actually will protect us. That said, like seeing um, the ACMA the media authority, you know, answering questions at the Senate inquiry to bring it back to that, you know, it didn't really feel like they felt any sense of responsibility to, um, you know, regulate how um, Sky, what Sky News is talking about. So, um, yeah, I think we sort of, I'm, I, I just think it's really great that all these community groups are getting together and organising these court cases mm. because this is about making sure that, our government actually does what it says it will. Uh, I mean, mm. no, not does what it says it will. It does what it's supposed to. And um, <laughs> it's it's the it's morning. <laughs> at, the, at the moment, they are still telling us. Like they they're at the point now where they're telling us that they will do bad. Like we're just, and, we're and they still do it. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to take care of the children. I think these these court yeah. cases are really good because obviously they're not going to do the right thing out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, and they're not even going to do the right thing out of the laws that, you know, sh- already kind of exist. They've got to be actively dragged, kicking and screaming to do the bare minimum of the right thing. And so we've got to do this. Mm. This week, uh, there was a fun little article that went briefly viral on Twitter, mostly due to the fact that it has the wife of Nick Jonas involved in it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? What the fuck was just said? (laughs) Sorry, I just had to... (laughs) paying enough attention to the notes. (laughs) Okay, so this week there was was an announcement that from in America that there's going to be a game show. Um, It's called The Activist. It stars Usher... (laughs) Priyanka Chopra, who Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who is the wife of Nick Jonas. And, oh, her. yeah, that's right. And Julianne Hu are set to co-host the Global Citizen Competition Series called The Activist. Now, what is this show, you may ask? It's a competition series that fe- features six inspiring activists teamed with three high-profile public figures working together to bring meaningful change to one of three vitally important world causes – Health, education, and environment. So they've turned 
Activism into Survivor. It's so It's going to be the Hunger Games of activism. <laughs> fucking so dystopian. It, Fuck me dead. It, this, so this, of course, got the reaction you may imagine, which is, what the fuck? Um mm. Also, who the fuck? <laughs> who the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> wait Why? a second, Nick Jonas's wife? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's married. Wait, wait, what do they what do they win at the end? What are they competing for? The team that receives the largest commitment from like the they have to go head to head in challenges to promote their causes. So their oh. success is measured via online engagement, social media. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, we love simple. Sorry, I'm just like I'm laughing while clicks. I'm saying this because I'm all I'm imagining is like Let's get it trending, fellas, and like you just like yeah. the yeah. hashtag. Yeah, it's I'm corny. sorry. I'm it's sorry, just... pandas. Uh, your cause is in- important, but you just couldn't compete with tuberculosis. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the three teams have to. They've all got one ultimate goal, which is to air quotes, create impactful movements, Uh air quotes again, that amplify their message and advance them to the G20 summit in Rome in Italy. They're competing to go to the G20 summit and get the chance to talk to world leaders in the hope of securing funding and awareness for their causes. (laughs) The two losers who don't get to talk to the leaders. Fuck off with your cause. You weren't spicy enough. Exactly. Like, it's just so funny, the idea that, like, we're doing Hunger Games for activism now, so you maybe get a chance to talk to leaders at the G20 (laughs) and maybe, maybe get a chance to have money. It's also so like fucked that it's it like just the sort of flip side of that, like at the G20, where all the world leaders are together and they're like, and now we're about to hear somebody who uh, won this spot on a game show. <laughs> <laughs> and as if the leaders of the G20 are exactly, you know, the most progressive yeah. leaders yeah. as well. Like they're going to want to, yeah. You know who goes to the G20? Scott Morrison. He doesn't give a shit when France goes, we're going to put sanctions on you. He's not going to give a shit if Usher comes up, starts his speech by saying Usher, and then talks about tuberculosis. He's not going to do anything. Finally, thanks to the activists from CBS, health, education, and the environment will be on the agenda at the G20. (laughs) The final point from the press release makes me laugh the most, and I will explain why in a second, other than it being extremely funny. Um, the, the team that receives the largest commitment is celebrated as the overall win at the, at the finale, which will also feature musical performances by some of the world's most passionate artists. Passionate! Not, not best artists. <laughs> no, it's just the ones trying their hardest. It's the fucking, it's those kids from that YouTube clip that are butchering smells like teen spirit. Fuck, they're trying though. They, this is, oh I can't help but imagine that in 20 years time, we'll be like, hey, so why didn't we fix climate change? And they'll be like, oh, Oh, they just they just didn't want it enough in the final round. Um, uh, yeah, we did education instead, sorry. Their musical composition just didn't come together, yeah. <laughs> we know exactly who to blame. On the bright side, we did fix education, though. <laughs> we know exactly who to blame for climate change. It wasn't fossil fuel companies, it was Guy Sebastian, who just didn't nail the solo. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, yeah, climate change really, like, they fell out in the Jenga round, and so we didn't fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this this activism game show, it, like it sounds horrific. I Ooh. cannot wait to watch it. Um, uh, <laughs> no. no, it's so bad. I can't That's imagine just what they want. what's going to be. Yeah. So just this th- this would have totally passed me by as like, a, oh man, they're really doing this, and I wouldn't have thought about it if Lindell hadn't pointed out 
that this is from Global Citizen, which was which is a nonprofit organization which is founded by a man called Hugh Evans. Now, Hugh Evans, who the fuck is that? That's a very generic white man name. <laughs> Isn't he married to Nick <laughs> <I> just- <laughs> Doesn't really like re- ring a bell or anything for me. Turns out Turns out. Before Evie starts talking, I just want to point out that Evie's notes for this one, this paragraph just begins with, dude, I hate this fucking guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm I'm just going to, like, okay. He is, like all bad things, an Australian man. (laughs) And not, not only an Australian man. But a Melbourneian man, so sorry oh, to the rest uh. of the world. <laughs> and not only not only a Melbourneian man, but he comes from Kew, which to our international listeners is a very wealthy suburb in Melbourne. Um, he was educated at like a Baptist grammar school. Like he's got very high sort of pretensions about himself. And yes, I fucking hate this guy. His Wikipedia page <laughs> is just insane. Like it just – there's a lot of stuff on there which is very – you have like like all all sorts of like a lot of like pro- prominent activists are very self promoting and that is like a nature of the sort of being a charismatic person and that sort of thing. But this guy, he screams TED Talk energy, and <laughs> when I like when you say TED Talk energy is like you know a guy who just makes his living off just like talking about how great things are or like you know how to change your life and blah blah blah. Mm. Except the problem is is that when you have TED Talk energy about real problems like global poverty, <laughs> you make things very individual as opposed to a structural problem. And so this is like one of like Hugh Evans is one of the guys who's involved in this, and the other two. Uh, Michael Rapinoe, who is the Live Nation CEO, and Jack Sussman, who is the specials, musics, and live events um, EVP for CBS, which is the channel that this show is going to be on. <laughs> so, yes, it's it's a joint program between these three people of let's get people back into live events and let's use the concept of talking about activism and global poverty in a survivor sense. CBS is the same channel that has Survivor. So they're doing American Idol, but everyone has to sing Do Know know It's Christmas. (laughs) That's the premise of the show. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, like there's so many, like if if you go back through the last 50 years, it is very funny to see how it is just a repetition of the same things that we've always done when it comes to talking about global poverty, which is Hmm. why don't we put on a show? Let's put on Live Aid. Let's put on a big concert and maybe we can solve poverty by raising enough money. Did that not work? Because I did the 40-hour famine in primary school (laughs) and if that didn't work, I had a lot of barley sugars for nothing. Oh, my God. Lang, it's so funny that you mention this because in this guy's Wikipedia page, his background section starts with the fact that at 12 years old, he participated in the World Vision 40-hour famine. Right. And, and he got sucking loser. <laughs> and the following year, he won a World Vision sponsored contest to visit development programs in the Philippines. And what this type is, of yeah. <laughs> sorry, what type of fucking psycho? What type of psycho tries to pad his resume at the age of twelve? I know. <laughs> it gets even better. Ridiculous. I, 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 like 
I hey know. Man, what have you actually done? You're meant to be an activist. Oh, I did the World Vision 40 hour famine when I was 12. Come on, I got some credentials. I really like, I know we're getting into the into the weeds a bit here with this guy, but I. Yeah, we're I, ad homonyming pretty hard here. Well, look, my third eye opened when it came to this guy. He looks like a fucking guest on the Gruen transfer. I hate him. I have to read out this quote because I think it's very emblematic of the kind of person he is. And clearly, it's on his Wikipedia page that he wrote himself. So he clearly thinks this is a good thing. So I'm just going to read out this quote and you can react in the way that you wish after it. <laughs> the greatest injustice, so this is about him visiting um, um, the Himal- in the Himalayas in India. So he's recalling his experience from like his notes at that time. <laughs> so the greatest injustice I witnessed this year happened not when comparing the poor of India to the rich of India, but upon arriving home. I couldn't understand why we as Australians are so determined, even to the point of complaining, to get the latest mobile phone. Then comparing that to walking through the markets of India and seeing a man with no legs, simply a piece of rubber tied to his waist to stop the skin on his pelvis from scraping away, all he asks for is the equivalent of 20 cents. He thinks he's, he's basically using the boomer argument of, I didn't look at the comparison between any sort of disparity in income in the country I was in, but Australians should just stop complaining because there is a legless man in an Indian market and you should stop complaining about having a phone because all he's asking for is 20 cents. Yeah. Yeah, what is this? I mean, everyone in Australia obviously has legs and uh, can afford the latest phone. That's not a problem here. Um, but fucking hell, what are you talking about? <laughs> he just has like this extremely like white saviour energy about yeah. him. Yeah. And um, Global Citizen, one of the main things they do is they put on these concerts every year during the UN General Assembly and they'll have like the absolute A-listers performing there. But it just feels like they haven't really learned anything from like that Live Aid era. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you sort of look at it, it's like really, really shiny. And I think Live Aid came under a lot of criticism and they actually sort of began to improve over the years but global citizen seems to sort of have gone back to square one and it's just really like white savior really charity oriented let's get billionaires up on stage like bill gates and get them to donate money but not actually look at you know how the inequality actually happened in the first place it probably just mostly functions as pr for people who could fix the problem but won't unless you give them a concert slash games game show slash (laughs) some nice uh, publicity and len you would be absolutely right in that (laughs) (laughs) my favorite thing is that um bob geldof who was like really involved in live aid he actually made this band that was called band aid which is like it's i I always like to think of it as like put it like someone like getting the the leg cut off and then like putting a band-aid like a tiny (laughs) band-aid on it like i have to i have to confess at this point um I, I can't actually remember if I've made this confession on air before, but I am a huge U2 fan. Um, so I've followed the comings and goings of Bono um, for many years and I'm very well aware of his attempts to solve this problem with Bob Geldof and through Live Aid um, and through various things like Make Poverty History and going to things like the G20 and talking to world leaders. And I'm just going to say if Bob Geldof – sorry, if Bob Geldof and Bono – have not managed to fix world poverty in this way at this point. 
I am reasonably sure that survivor activist is not going to do it. <laughs> but you don't think that Hugh Evans ha- is like eminently qualified in his, his Wikipedia <laughs> that he wrote himself? He, through Global Citizen, in 2017, he managed to um, convince Julia Gillard, of all people, um, to use the organization kick all platform. the women off the single pup mother. <laughs> no, sorry. He named one woman, and he <laughs> <laughs> he used the plat- He got her to use the platform to call for three point one billion dollars to give children access to high quality education by the organization that she chairs, which is the quote unquote global partner for education. Um, so it's basically they they said, oh yeah, we'll throw money at this problem. We'll give two point three billion dollars to this cause. But again, it is not just the fact that children need education; it is obviously larger structural problems. That's the same thing with every single sort of fundraising event for global poverty as a nebulous idea. Is like, yeah, you can fix some of the symptoms, but obviously there is a structural problem in in what is happening. And I think the most sinister thing about Global Citizen and the horrible Australian man that seems to be the lead of it (laughs) is that it really is whitewashing a lot of, like, direction of resources and media attention away from actual activists into, like, very pro-capitalist solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put some stuff in the show notes because, yeah, like – I. I really got so deep into like seeing the kind of really sus and genuinely grim ways in which Global Citizen is a cover for those things. And Lyndall, you mentioned before that like going back to like the same sort of solutions that Live Aid did, it's even more so because it does involve the same people. It involves Bill Gates. Involves like World Bank sanctioned like counters to anti-globalization protests. Involves all the same things. They're still doing concerts. It's a sort of thing of like, you know, with, with, with the climate fight, for example, like the climate crisis is not a, you know, organic problem that has just sort of arisen out of how we sort of organize our society. It, it's something that's being actively perpetrated by, you know, the, the heads of like fossil fuel corporations and that sort of thing that you can't sort of donate your way out of the climate crisis because it's a fight that has powerful enemies like the, the 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 thing that needs to be stopped is the people who are doing it not just the sort of the 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 sort of amorphous problem that's happening and global poverty and like a, a lot of that sort of stuff is sort of the same where you've got obviously you know poverty's just uh, distribution of resources is a difficult problem to solve but you can't just be like well we'll just give some resources to the people who don't have them and then we'll be fine because global poverty is driven by the sort of global supply chain that says, oh, well, you know, the people in wealthy countries want their products, which means we need to put the people in the poorer countries into a huge amount of, like, slavery and horrible working conditions and that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. If you don't address that, then you can just sort of, like, give the money to the slaves, but they're still enslaved, you yes, know? Like, exactly. It, it <laughs> and these sort of glo- these these Live Aid concerts are often, you know, featuring the people who are the slavers. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, well, that's that's not really helping then, is it? Yeah. yeah. Bill Gates, who's gone to vast lengths to move his tax things to, like, Puerto Rico so that he doesn't have to pay tax, that would go to, presumably, helping people. We can't be having that. <laughs> or it's even like, you know, oh, if only we could do something about global health. Hey, Bill Gates, how about you free the coronavirus vaccine from ooh, their patents? Oh, ooh. no, no, no. I wouldn't call for that. That's a bit, that's a bit fast. <laughs> that, that's, mm. Bill so, Gates is, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is the most 
sinister thing of all, really. So I mentioned before that Bill Gates is involved with this organization. Um, so this organization exists primarily to combat poverty. Again, very nebulous concept, but they're funded and promoted by the same institutions that push that poverty on the global south. And of course, if this sounds similar to what Bill Gates' stick is, it's because they receive millions from the Gates Foundation. And mm. this is now manifesting in a very sinister way. Uh, Lindell, Millions. Oh, yeah. a whole couch cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Lindell, do you want to lead this bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've been, um, we, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the intellectual property waiver proposal that came from South Africa in India um, would allow those countries to be making, you know, billions more doses um, to go to countries in the global south. And apparently, um, the great news this week is that apparently um, Australia has now actually said for the first time ever that we are actually one of the countries that now supports this um, proposal, um, which is great news, although they seem to sort of be trying to slightly rewrite history and claim that we always supported it. But this is the first time that um, the people who have been campaigning on this since last October say that Australia has actually said this. So um, that's great news. Um, Germany, unfortunately, is one of the main countries now pushing back against it. Strangely enough, Joe Biden has actually said the US is going to support this intellectual property waiver. So, you know, hopefully very soon those negotiations are going to see the ability to make tons and tons of generic COVID-19 medicines, not just vaccines, but even just the medicines that people um, mm. need as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it's happened before um, with HIV medicines as well, but um, hopefully this is going to be happening soon with um, COVID-19. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, as, as, um, was just mentioned, you know, who, who is extremely opposed to any kind of intellectual property waiver because they argue that it's going to be a big, big slippery slope and, um, who made <laughs> all of their billions of dollars mm. off of intellectual property and us all having to pay, you know, now an annual license to use their software, um, is also apparently, you know, historically, um, has been one of the biggest champions of childhood vaccines, but is strangely very, very silent on this um, proposal for making um, COVID-19 vaccines much um, more accessible. Um, yeah, it's Bill Gates. So <laughs> Global Citizen have, you know, done their usual thing and had a big fundraiser to get more donated um, vaccines. But as we know, like the this... Um, this way that, you know, they're pulling all of those donations together is called COVAX. And a few weeks ago, it was found out that Australia is one of a few um, richer countries that have actually been taking vaccines out of COVAX. I think um, it was the Sydney Morning Herald's, um, you know, all credit to them when they do actually have a really good exclusive um, <laughs> <laughs> reported this story and um, they had um, the, the story is that we had taken 500,000 doses from COVAX and in, in the month that it had happened, apparently it was back in June, um, the entire continent of Africa had received less than 500,000 doses from COVAX, mm. which was supposed to be <laughs> this facility to oh get donated God. vaccines. So donations just don't really cut it when you have, yeah. you know, this intellectual property regime, which means that even though factories in South Africa and India are making vaccines, um, the they have to enter into these licensing agreements, which 
I, at least until recently for South Africa, they were having to export the vaccines that they made to Europe. So That's just- fucked. That is, <laughs> that is potato famine levels of evil and cruelty. That is, you are producing what could save you, but we're taking it. Yeah, and South Africans even participated in the clinical trials and yet, you know, and they've had one of the worst outbreaks um, that's been going on since last year. And, and you know, India, they've been calling for this vaccine waiver since last October. And in the interim, you know, we all know what happened with the Delta variant in India. So it's like, um, okay, it's great that Australia now supports this waiver, but like hurry up and actually make it happen at the World Trade Organization yeah. so that, mm. yeah. It's absolutely that that sort of colonialist thing of we are fine with, you know, poorer countries getting charity and things like COVAX where they're reliant on richer countries being like, okay, you can have these things that we give you, but we will not let them be able to support themselves. Can you imagine if if somewhere like India started making these vaccines without our permission? They'd bloody they'd send in drones or something. They'd shut them down. Yeah, the the idea that intellectual property rights and the waiving thereof is some sort of slippery slope when we're looking at the slippery slope of COVID that we're currently on. Like, what <laughs> exactly. is it? What, you know, you know what could be really bad. So, well, some shit's bad right now, actually. Oh, and there's, though, you know, if if they if they didn't have the ability to make a shit ton of money off the vaccine, then what what would even be the purpose of doing <laughs> vaccine <laughs> research, Mitch? What's the incentive there? <laughs> like, obviously, oh, just the oh, the health and well being of every person in the world. Sure, but where's the money? Yeah, exactly. Where's the where's the profit margin? Like, you need to give me a concert and give me a million dollars. Or I won't give you the vaccine. That's it's Covax, right? So, so what I think we need is an activism game show where you get billionaires like Bill Gates, <laughs> and you do basically the same thing, and you say, "Here's, you know, what what's your cause? What are you going to do? Can you inspire us?" But then instead of the winner going to the G20, um, the losers just get guillotined. <laughs> um, and I think that we would need really to do like ins- a survivor thing. I think where we yeah. take all the billionaires and we put them on an island and see if they can survive. Uh, we don't record it or show any. One or put it <laughs> so they just, but they've got to give away their billions. Or put them in on Mars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we're going to terraform it. Bye. Whoever has, whoever has the most intellectual property rights remaining by the end of an hour and the most billions of dollars is guillotined. And so, quickly call all your lawyers. Make sure everything is given away to charity. I just think there's there, there is the. Like we're talking about like the wider structural issues and whatnot. I think the something that went relatively unreported on was that story if you guys remember a little while ago with you know turns out scott morrison didn't even get on the blower to the heads of a vaccine company like it was Mm. pfizer or whatever he didn't even try to do a deal with him and it just went unremarked that the fucking leader of a sovereign nation has to call up a ceo and beg for something that saves lives that is a fundamentally broken system that we're in at this point that just someone who's the head of a company can hold lives to ransom when an elected leader of a democracy needs something from them. It's like, no, that yeah. shit, like, I don't like Scott Morrison at all. No, no way, shape or form. But leaders of countries should have fucking power over corporations. It's absolutely fucking amazing that we just went, oh, yeah, of course you should wheel and deal. That's the role of a prime minister. Business. I don't know about that. I think it's a little more complicated than that because it's like, okay, Pfizer has a lot of vaccines. They're trying to, you know, figure out which countries are getting these vaccines. There is a limited supply. It's not necessarily that Pfizer was like, Oh, you got to send your big guy to talk to us so we give you some vaccines. It's more like you got to no, send someone. Said that. Sure, they sure. Li- yeah, yeah. yeah. 
To a degree, but also it's like we... Pfizer was like, hey, uh, we've got a bunch of vaccines we, we can give you if, if you know, you want to make a deal with them. Can you send someone to make a deal? And we didn't send someone soon enough and we half-assed it and we didn't show much interest. And I'm going to say that I'm very happy to say the Australian government gets a certain amount of blame for really just not giving a shit about getting vaccines there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just the, the, the two-pronged thing of the government could have got more vaccines and the fact that they could have is fucked because of the way that that... Like, they didn't have to yeah. send the Prime Minister. They needed to send the Health Minister, whose job it is to get vaccines, yeah. to make these deals. That's his job. They're not asking for homage. They're asking to send the guy whose job it is. They were asking for some homage. No, Maybe that's the thing, Lang. No, 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 Lang, that's the thing. That Pfizer had come out and said they were shocked and appalled by the disrespect shown to them that it wasn't even the Prime Minister or a high-ranking official. It was some lowly diplomats that came out. It's like... The fucking gall yeah. of a vaccine company to have that during a fucking pandemic. You should be thankful every day that the nations don't take over your headquarters. I guess that's fair. The, we all yeah. know the answer is to send Kevin Rudd to go kiss the ring. That's, ah. that's the solution. I'm happy to say both party bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's compromise Lang and say they're both shit. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Rudd, um, fellas, going to need some Pfizer's thanks. And everyone's like, wow, he's so cool. <laughs> Master of negotiation. He's <laughs> <laughs> leather jacket. I miss 2007. That's all this is. Uh, uh Lindell, thanks so much for coming on again. That was fantastic. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, you know, um, it's probably a bit premature doing all this considering damages isn't out yet, but I definitely am a massive fan of Drilled. So I'm mm. super excited to be working um, on this new podcast from Amy Westervelt. So I definitely recommend people listen to the Drilled um, podcast. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, also a freelance journalist. So probably the best way to find me is on Twitter at L-Y-N-D-A-L-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S. Hell yeah. And I mean, when, and when damages come out, for sure we will be plugging it and making sure everyone checks it out. Very excited. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts or just tell a friend. You can also get in touch with us at NotGoodPod on all the socials or email us at NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. Nice. Huzzah. Thanks for that, Lindell. Nailed it. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Uh, we pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.